0: We have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It is rich in data. It can bring in location. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market.
1: If you have a large farm, the wireless connectivity is not going to carry out.
0: This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Network looks stable, let's connect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Market Scale IoT Podcast Show. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and it is now the 26th of December, which means Christmas is over, which is sad, but we still have the new year to look forward to. I hope everyone had a fabulous holiday break. I know I sure did. Spent it with family, it was pretty relaxed, um, got some great presents. And that's basically all I can ask for, right? Presence, family, chill, little alcohol here and there. Hey, we're having a good time. It is the holiday season. And uh, before we jump into the main content for today's episode, while you kick back and probably digest some of that holiday ham, I want to chat with my cohort Tyler Kern. He is another podcast host here at Market Scale and a B2B media producer. Tyler and I want to talk about, Basically, my favorite present of the holiday season and that is an ad. Not typically something I would say, but it is probably the best ad I've seen all year. Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Man, you're absolutely right. It's an incredible ad. Yeah, with, uh... it's it's so good. I hope listeners know what I'm talking about. It's the IOT show, so obviously this ad has something to do with IoT. Ding ding ding, you guessed it. It is the Macaulay Culkin ad where he reprises his role in Home Alone, but this time he's being helped out by Google Home. And let me tell you, it was just such a great nostalgia trip for that movie. It was I saw a tweet. It basically said, "This is the ad that I never knew I needed." But boy, once I saw it, like I needed it real bad. It checks all the boxes, you know. It gets the nostalgia, so you got the feels, but it also
2: does an effective job of making uh, the product seem like something you can't live without. You know, yeah. like, uh, it, it, it does such a good job that it really does check all the boxes that I think advertisers are going for, and uh, at the same time, gives us something to talk about on an IoT podcast. <laughs> exactly,
0: so, exactly. Man. Yeah, what I really love about it is that it showcases just how... I don't know, essential isn't really the right word because I think people can live without this technology, but at the same time it just shows how how much simpler life can be when you've got a Google Home, or an Amazon Alexa, or some other smart home device and it's just, it's perfect that they chose Macaulay Culkin's character from Home Alone, because obviously his whole shtick is that he went totally out of his way to transform his home into a death trap for these intruders, and It was fun to watch then, and now as we're older, we look back on it, and I know part of me thinks, wow, I don't know who would have the energy to ever do something like that (laughs) in real life. But then you see Google Home step in and help out, and we only really get like one scene of Google Home actually helping for the operation, but it it was just... kind of a, a flip of the script and it really got me thinking how would i incorporate google home into my my daily operations it was like whereas macaulay colkin would have been spending all day putting paint cans up on the staircase and setting a bunch of booby traps now instead he can jump on the bed take a chill pill watch some tv and then say hey google home <laughs> yeah. fry these intruders please you know <laughs> and that's just what i loved about it it was so much fun Yeah, and it it gave a really great picture as to how you can integrate
2: Google Home into your day-to-day life if you haven't already. Like, I have one, uh, but it even gave me, like, some new ideas of, oh, you know what, I should really utilize that on a more regular basis. I even have a Google phone and haven't done a great job integrating those things kind of into my day-to-day routine. Uh, but using it to make lists, just off the top of your head, like as you're cooking, if you run out of something, uh, we have a Google Home in the kitchen. Why do I not just say, "Hey Google, add that to my shopping list"? I just right. haven't gotten to that point yet. But uh, watching the commercial made me realize, just okay, like it's so easily integ- integrated into my day to day life that like this is this is totally possible. And uh, that that's more of the beauty of the commercial. It helps you realize uh, just all of the different ways that this technology can be used.
0: Right. And I think it's representative of just where the whole smart home industry is at. I mean, the the fact that it can be so integrated into your daily operations at home that they have Macaulay Culkin doing an ad on it and basically taking an iconic Christmas movie and uh, putting a, a Google Home in it. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like five years ago, if they did that, people would be a little weirded out because I don't think people totally understood the value of like, okay, I get it, but too soon, right? Mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. soon. um But now it feels like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, I'd love to see how a Google Home would help out other people in other movies, surprisingly enough. I remember there was this college humor sketch uh, a couple of years ago. Actually, probably more like five years ago. Time flies. It and does. it was basically saying – um if cell phones were used in classic movies. And there was like, (laughs) it was a cell phone in Titanic, a cell phone in Gladiator, everything. It was just like, okay, obviously cell phones weren't new five years ago, but it was that idea of taking technology, putting it in a classic setting. And I feel like we've just, we're beyond that. You know, whatever the smartphone can do, whatever cellular technology can do, we're used to it. But the smart home is still kind of in that area where not everyone's got it not everyone understands how useful it can be but we're almost there and I think this is a sign of we're almost there this tech has become commoditized enough that Google is encouraging you to implement it to every aspect of your home and they are hitting you in the nostalgia feels like they know this is going to sell and they know people are going to be like whoa I want a Google Home. Exactly. I mean, it makes me want a Google Home. So for sure, and I think the next step
2: is for people like us to uh, integrate it into our podcasts. Like, mm-hmm. hey, hey, Google Home, dim the lights. Hey, Google Home, play the Market Scale IoT podcast. Hey,
0: Google Home, write my script copy, <laughs> <laughs> please, dear God. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm looking forward to that future. So let's get there man let's get there immediately please all right well thanks tyler for jumping in the studio chatting about some great ads um i really don't think it's going to be topped and we've got a few days so maybe something's going to come out on the 31st and top it but doubt it it's time to start looking forward to super bowl ads Ooh, that's a good season yeah we'll be back in here for that all right thanks tyler thanks man All right, so let's dig into the meat of our two podcast features for today's IOT podcast show. Not sure if y'all can stomach any more meat after all that Christmas ham, Christmas turkey, uh, Christmas tofu. If you are vegan or vegetarian, whatever it is, I hope you're stuffed and that this is just piling on to the delicious feast you already got to enjoy. But today's two features put IOT to work in different industries and in each We get to see how interconnected data is lowering price points, increasing data access, and overall creating big connected wins. We'll start with a look at connected energy with Tom Raftery. He's the global VP, futurist, and innovation evangelist with SAP. Gotta love his titles. What Raftery's seen is the connectivity of energy grids, the rise of renewables, and the shift of storage and energy all being enabled by the use of IoT. On the podcast, he analyzes which regions are leading the way in cheaper, connected renewables, and which regions are still pretty far behind. Let's jump right in. All right, so let's welcome back Tom Raftery. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast, Tom, but we figured it was time to get your insight on something fresh and this time we're talking about connected energy and i'm excited to dig in how are you doing today
1: hey daniel thanks for having me back it's uh, it's, it's great to be here and uh, yeah it's an exciting topic
0: yeah absolutely uh, what have you been up to in the iot space since we last had you on it's been oh i feel like at least four or five months
1: yeah, I've been, I've been doing a lot of travel. <laughs> unfortunately, I've um, been traveling all over, uh, all over Europe, uh, partly in Southeast Asia as well and parts of Africa. So yeah, I've been clocking up those air miles.
0: Well, hey, I'm never complaining about that, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when we were discussing what topic to explore for this feature, you seem pretty passionate about how connected energy is disrupting pretty much everything. Give our listeners a breakdown of what you've seen in the last several months, even last several years of how um, IoT technology is impacting the energy sector.
1: Sure. 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 So there's a number of big trends that are happening in energy at the moment, uh, and all of them are being enabled by IoT. And the, the, the main trends are obviously the connectivity of energy uh, through IoT, but also there's the rise of renewables uh, and there's the shift to storage. And the reasons for the uh, rise of renewables are, you know, Uh, as I mentioned, partly to do with IoT, the fact that you can now talk to these devices wherever they are in the field. But also, it has to do with economics. And what do I mean by that? Well, the costs of the main renewables, wind and solar, have come crashing down in the last 40 years. Uh, Back in uh, 1977, for example, the cost of a kilowatt hour of solar was around $76, Uh, Today, it's uh, about two cents. So you can see it has come down and down and down and down. And the reason it has come down are are, are several fold. You've got things like technological advances, obviously, and you've got then uh, the uh, economies of scale. Um, And that happened. You you have this thing called the, the Swanson effect. And many of the listeners here would be familiar with Moore's law. Well, the Swanson effect is like Moore's law, but just for solar. And what it says is that as the amount of installed solar capacity globally doubles then the price of solar drops 20%. And this has gone, and this has happened since, as I said, the late 70s. And now the price of solar is well below the price of natural gas today. And in fact, uh, here in Europe, where I'm based, it is now, and get this, this is stunning. It is now cheaper to build out new wind and solar farms. Wow. Than it is to run existing gas or coal plants.
0: Huh? And it's a
1: land. It's a landmark moment. It wow. is actually cheaper to build net new solar and wind parks than to operate existing coal and gas plants. It's amazing. Is this something you're seeing globally, or just in a few areas? It's in. It's in a few areas, but uh, it it it's it's one of these things uh, um, where. When it happens in one place, it will spread because it's, 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 it's due to economic and technological reasons. Uh, so Europe is ahead because we've got a, a price on carbon, which is making the oil and gas more expensive. Uh, but it, it will spread to the rest of the world as well uh, as the uh, price of carbon goes up in other places and as the uh, costs of wind and solar continue to fall. Um, if you think about the UK... For example, the U.K. now has more renewable energy capacity than it has fossil fuel capacity. That, that happened in November of this year. It, it, it surpassed the fossil fuels. Uh, and that's happened in a very short time. The renewable capacity in the U.K. has tripled in the last five years, which is amazing. And if you think about solar, just solar by itself... There was more solar deployed globally in 2017 than there was all fossil fuels combined, including coal, gas, oil, etc., Uh, There was 98 gigawatts of solar built in 2017. A gigawatt, for for people who are not familiar, is roughly the output of a nuclear power plant. So 98 gigawatts of solar deployed last year, 53 of those in China. China is leading the world in this. It's amazing. And so...
0: IOT technology and just the ability to gather this data, um, to utilize it more effectively, and I mean to connect all these large scale operations. Is that empowering people to, I mean, basically commoditize this energy source and make it more accessible?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, one uh, one of the things you need to be able to do with uh, any sort of energy generation is you need to be able to control it uh, to see what it's doing at any point in time. And uh, traditionally... Energy generation has come from large power plants, the kind of big coal and gas plants and uh, uh, even nuclear plants that we're familiar with. Uh, But the solar and wind parks are typically smaller and more dispersed. So if there were not the communications technologies that IoT has given us, we wouldn't be able to have them. We wouldn't be able to deploy them. We wouldn't be able to control them and manage them. Uh, A lot of them, you know, they'll need maintenance from time to time and, you know, how do you know they need maintenance? Well, if if they're not in communication with you, uh, their sensors telling you how they're performing. Well, then you wouldn't know when they need maintenance. But now, of course, because they're all connected, uh, you can have preventive maintenance on all your solar and wind farms because they're constantly talking back to base, saying, "Okay, this particular wind turbine now might need a a gearbox change, you know, or something like that, depending on uh, the 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 way the turbines are turning or any vibrations that it might be feeling, things like that."
0: I mean, I'm excited to see how IoT continues to propel energy forward. I mean, especially we're just in such an energy conscious time in our lives. Um, we're starting to really have to look globally at what changes can we make to uh, promote a cleaner world and it sounds like at this point renewable energy isn't really a fad and it's not something that is niche I mean if it is this accessible and this commoditized why is it still taking so long for it to adopt uh, on a global scale I know the answer probably has to do a lot with infrastructure and I mean transitioning over entire municipalities to a new energy source can be difficult and time consuming but if it is on the cheap And especially if there is this IoT technology empowering it to be more accessible and, you know, for you to be able to make actionable decisions on that data, why do you feel like it's still moving kind of like a molasses to a degree? (laughs)
1: Again, it depends on the markets you're in. True, Uh, exactly. In some places, it's more successful than in others, or it's going faster than in others is probably a better way of putting it. Uh, Part of it is down to uh, when, in any particular region, the last fossil fuel power plant was built or the last fossil fuel power plants were built, because... Uh, if you invest, uh, let's say, 20 billion in building a power plant, uh, you expect to get that money back over X decades, you know, five or six decades, maybe. So you don't want to shut it down early. Uh, so it's it stays open, it stays operating. And unless there's a huge increase in demand, you may not need to build that much extra generation. So you might not need to, you know, build another plant. Uh, why would you need to build extra? So, that's why, that's why it's happening slowly. It's because there isn't this huge increase in demand. In fact, a lot of utilities, uh, you're probably familiar with this from your own utility, a lot of utilities have this weird business model where they try and get you to use less of their product. It's, it's bizarre. It's one of the only industries where they do that, where they try and help you huh. become more efficient. You know How many other manufacturers do you know who say, please buy less of our product? It's, it's, right. it's, it's weird. <laughs> but that, that's going to change too. Um and one of the big uh, uh one of the big uh, levers in, in changing this is going to be the shift to electrification of transportation. We talked about this the last time uh, and one of the one of the interesting outcomes that we're seeing from uh the fall in price of renewables to to go back to that again is uh we're seeing the utility companies coming up with different ways of rolling out renewable power so for example in austria the the austrian uh, power company vine energy they're called they have they're built they're building what they call community solar parks and it's a really cool idea what they do is they say to people we will sell you a solar panel and we will charge you 950 euros for that solar panel and here's the return you'll get on that investment over the next 20 years. And they lay out a a spreadsheet showing how much money this person will earn for their 950 euros that they spend buying this solar panel. And the, the money they get is from the energy that it creates. And then in the same spreadsheet, they say, if you put that same money into a deposit account, a high interest deposit account in a bank, here's the interest you would get on that. And it's significantly less than the money they get for the solar panel. So what has happened is the first solar park they, they rolled out this way, the, the citizen solar power plants, as they call them, it was sold out in one week. And they've, they've since rolled out 26 more, all of which have sold out within 24 hours. It's just been a massive uptake, and it's it's a win for the company because they get their solar plants subsidised uh, by the general public, and it's a win for the general public because they make a return on their investment and they get a cleaner energy system. So it's right. it's a lovely little idea. And I saw another story out of New South Wales, in Australia, in uh, in New South Wales, uh, the government there were subsidizing low-income families to the tune of about, I think it was 280 Australian dollars a year, so not a huge amount, but just to help them with their energy bills. And what they decided to do, now that renewables have become so cheap and so easy to remotely control, they've decided to scrap the um, allowance to families, and instead of giving them the $280 a year, they put solar panels on their roof, which then reduces the energy bill for that household by between five and six hundred dollars a year and contributes clean energy to the grid. So the low income families get an they get greater um, uh, spending money. You know, they they, they have more disposable income uh, and the grid becomes cleaner. So again, another beautiful story. And again, these kind of things wouldn't happen without the ability to you know, install and remotely control these uh, renewable energy plants and without the, the, the low cost of renewables. So it's, it's a huge turnaround in how we're doing these things.
0: Well, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us on the podcast, giving us your insight on connected energy and uh, digging into a little bit of the reasons why it's still not totally ubiquitous on a global level. But it sounds like, I mean, especially the fact that it's cheaper to build new net renewable energy than it is to maintain existing oil and gas operations, um, though not globally in some areas, I mean, that is that's a bright sign, definitely, and an exciting sign for renewable energy, especially one powered by IoT technology that's making that data more accessible. So again, thank you, Tom, for giving us this insight.
1: Sure. Thanks, Daniel.
0: Thanks again to Tom Raftery for jumping on the podcast. Our time difference is always pretty stark. He's Like he said, traveling from Europe to Africa to Australia, back and forth and back and forth, he is a busy bee. But he always makes time to join us on the MarketScale IoT podcast show, and I thank him for that. Okay, so our second feature is a look at how IoT is preventing food waste, an ever-present issue in the restaurant industry. It's a pretty large topic to cover, so we focused it into just beer as an example for how interconnected technology and access to data can curb waste and cut costs. Did you know that on average, 20% of beer from a keg is spilled due to overpouring and excess foam? That's a total waste of quality beer. But one company, Pubino, is proving this waste can be prevented. Here's Scale host Sam Mosier getting insight from the CEO of Pubino, John Al
3: I'm your host Sam Mosier, and today John Al Ghoul joins us to talk about IoT in the beer industry. Al Ghoul is an innovator in that sector. He has realized two startups and three hardware projects in the beer and horeca industries. This includes technologies like sensor beer tables and self-service beer dispensers. Now, he's the CEO at Pabino. Pabino uses IoT solutions to improve the beverage and hospitality sectors. Right now, they're focusing on beer. John, how are you doing today? It's
4: great, Sam. How are
3: you? Great! I'm so happy to have you on today. So, like I mentioned, I want to start today with how Pubino is bringing IoT to the business of serving beer. Your Taptronics technology uses IoT, robotics, data analytics, and sensor fusion to improve keg efficiency up to 20%. These smart taps, as they're called, use AI-powered flow technology to serve beer. I was reading on your website that this technology allows for the perfect beer. So to start, how did you notice this problem of bars not serving the perfect beer
4: actually the story comes from my student time uh, when i was a student i was a bartender and i know the draft beer industry's problems uh, because i eat. have you have you been behind of the
3: bars sir? Huh? i have not i've i've 21 myself I've, I've had my experience in bars but never behind one
4: all right uh, basically draft beer systems are uh, never changed for last four decades. Maybe it's a semi-industrial system. N- not works in optimum conditions. Uh, as you know, uh, you you get sometimes your beer warm, flat, stale. Uh, the quality is not consistent in the bottles. You know the quality is consistent, but uh, for the draft beer there is no. So that's why also. Uh, Average loss per cake is 23%. Uh, that, that's why we decided to create this. But you know hardware is hard. It takes time. And uh, finally, after three years, we are in mass production right now. And our tapes are used in eight countries, 200 bars. And it, it, it's going more
3: and more day by day. That's such a great savvy jump to see this problem of serving inadequate beer and finding an innovative solution to it. So, to talk about that solution, could you explain how these smart taps work and how others can learn from the solutions you've applied?
4: Sure. Uh, beer, flow, beer flow and beer quality is changing according to parameters uh, such as temperature, pressure, how much left in the cake, when the uh, last maintenance happened. For example, you know, sometimes you drink beer and get a metallic taste. Do you know that feeling? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, the the main reason for it is uh, maintenance. The b- uh, beer lines uh, should be cleaned in every two weeks, and uh, there is a process for it. Uh, and if you don't follow the proper process, you got the metallic taste actually, uh, or you know. You are unhappy when you drink warm beer. How we, we how we solve this? Actually, we are we are getting data for sensors and our AI flow of algorithm collecting to user behavior. When when the bartender uh, speed up, when he pushed the button, and uh, it gives dynamic algorithm. So then our robotic patented robotic manage the flow and it always pours the right amount of beer with the ideal temperature and ideal foam. Wow, Uh,
3: so I'm from Missouri and I can say personally, I wish the bars that I go to had this type of of technology because I could certainly go for a beer that sounds like that rather than the flat or metallic taste that you described because I'm certainly familiar
4: with it. (laughs) It's great to hear this and it will be, as you know, uh, IOT, now, disrupting so many industries. Actually, uh, our target is implementing Internet of Beer on the world. We are not the hardware startup. We are not only building the smart tap. We put the smart tap and around the smart tap, we implement the Internet of Beer. What is Internet of Beer? Uh, the Beer ecosystem has five stakeholders, five main stakeholders beer brands bar owners, consumers, bartenders, and cleaning companies. Internet of beer has a value for each stockholder and connect all of them. For example, nowadays we are launching uh, automatic ordering. Bar owners can uh, order from from the app. That's it. Uh, also the system gives them some recommendations. Let's say next week there is an event. You will you will sell more cakes, and uh, you need you need to order more. That kind of things. And uh, in terms of beer, is the best assistant of to uh, each stakeholder.
3: That's exciting. I know this idea of internet of beer can be likened to other parts of the food and beverage industries, with IoT solutions being used to connect the product flow of producers, distributors, sellers, and consumers. One of those solutions to help with product flow, I know, is cloud technologies. I was reading a survey by KPMG International that said food and beverage executives are looking to cloud technologies to make their workflow more efficient and to eliminate waste. And Babino itself offers its own cloud platform. So with your expertise, how can these cloud technologies help businesses improve their overall efficiency?
4: According to American Restaurant Association, average loss per cake is three percent uh, half of it comes from waste. Half of it comes from the fraud. For example, as a bar owner, you you cannot say to your bartender uh, like, yesterday you you got 90 glass, 90 pint from a keg. Tonight uh, you got 80. Why? You cannot ask this because your bartender can say that hey, gas tube is finished, so it always gives. Foamy beer, so that's why always spoilage. Uh System is not visible and uh, not automated, not controllable. Uh, we are controlling all the flow. We are controlling all the flow. So always, uh, we never uh, our our taps never never spillage, never wasted. Uh, it, it always gives ninety eight percent efficiency. This is how we.
3: I can see how in not just beer, but in all beverage industries, how this idea of getting the most out of your product and eliminating that waste with IOT solutions is something that anyone would be excited about. So beyond the beer servers, another thing I wanted to go back to was something you brought up earlier, bringing the internet of beer to all stakeholders in that industry sphere. We've discussed the smart taps and smart mobile ordering. What other solutions or technologies is Pabino working on to help realize this internet of beer?
4: Actually, uh, we have some R&D projects uh, on two sides. Uh, one of them is maintenance. Uh, maintenance process is so complicated. Uh, as I said to you, for every two weeks, beer lines should be clean. and Uh, For each beer type, according to beer type, beer line length, the maintenance process are different. We know uh, how to customize it. In the next future, we will launch an automated maintenance product. Uh, On the other hand, uh, data is so valuable. We we are collecting so much data, quality, sales, operation. Uh, And nowadays, Uh, we are launching our recommendation engine for example now let's say what's your favorite bar name my favorite bar is called
3: international tap house they have beer from all across the world
4: all right let's say uh, that place the smart taps and if they use the smart taps two months then uh, now we are saying with 95 accuracy next thursday that bar sell this much but this much cools so i uh, we can we can predict the sales uh, now uh, we are launching the pre- prediction algorithm then the pre- then the prediction algorithm will talk with their inventory and uh, the operation will be so easy
3: from all these things you're mentioning between eliminating waste predicting sales and smart mobile ordering I can see how these solutions are so useful in making beer sellers more efficient, which, of course, is what IoT is so useful for—efficiency. Another topic I wanted to return to was something you said at the beginning: hardware is hard. This idea of change can often be scary, especially with technology. So, did you have any fears when starting Pabino about convincing beer
4: sellers to adopt your solutions? We had two two big fear. One of them was validating the problem. You can't imagine some uh, at first. The bar owners doesn't know about their waste, <laughs> and we are saying them, "Hey, you are wasting every day." Uh, they they didn't know. They don't accept exactly because you know they they think in different way. Validating well, uh, well, the problem was so difficult, but now we it, uh, we are working with uh, two of the ten biggest beer brands in the world. The second one was the mass production. So, nowadays, it seems like I pass my fears.
3: Well, that's good to hear. Um, I could see how telling servers that they're wasting their product would be kind of a difficult thing to open their eyes to if they're not aware of it.
4: <laughs>
3: now, uh, with all that being said, uh, we, we've covered a lot of exciting innovations coming from Pabino today. And IoT is something that can be implemented in so many different ways across the Horeca industry, which you have a lot of experience with. So do you see any ways that the solutions Pabino has developed can be implemented in other areas in the Horeca industry beyond just beer?
4: It's a good question. Thank you. Beer is the third most consumed beverage in the world. Uh, The water is one and the second is tea. Uh, Can you imagine beer is uh, more consumed than Coke and coffee?
3: I did not know that. That's interesting.
4: Yeah, Yeah, beer is really big. So... We totally to stop beer and horeca industry. Uh, we won't do anything with the other beverages. but uh, in the horeca, our next step is our vision is uh, touching the end users, consumers.
3: What is your plan there in, in, wor- in moving next to the consumers?
4: Uh, it's kind of confidential. Uh, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but to summarize, I can only say this, yani, touching the consumer is our vision.
3: Well, that's exciting. We'll certainly look forward to seeing what Fabino has planned for moving on to the consumers. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really informative conversation about the innovations coming out of Fabino and what they mean for IoT in the beer industry.
4: Sam, it's, it's really great to talk with you. It, it's, it was real nice. Thanks.
3: Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Now, on to the rest of the show.
0: All right, friends and family, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale IoT Podcast Show. I think I'm gonna go watch that Macaulay Culkin ad again. It is just mm, a delicious treat, and it really did get me thinking about bringing IoT to my apartment. Though, you know, I think the challenge with smart homes is that for them to really be useful, you gotta deck your home out in all the gear. So you need to connect your lights. You need to connect your fridge, your dishwasher, your speakers, everything. And that luxury isn't really there in an apartment setting. So I'm curious to see how smart technology continues to make its way into apartments even. I can see a future where apartments come with that tech already built in. So you pay for the luxury of having a Google Home and basically a smart apartment, a smart to pint. Mm. That doesn't quite roll off the tongue like I expected. Till then, I'll just have to stick with the smart Wi-Fi in my apartment, which I do enjoy. The fact that I've got a little separate dongle for every room, and it detects which room is using the most data and allocates it accordingly. That I do really enjoy, and that's a little more accessible. Alright everyone, I hope you all had a fabulous holiday break, and I hope you're looking forward to that next chunk, because we've got the new year right around the corner. Hey, enjoy it. It's time for family. It's time for friends. It's time for drinks. So take it easy. Enjoy it. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode of the Scale IoT podcast show. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure you give us a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. And if you want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries.